So we teed up last week our introduction into the concept of stewardship. And we gave a definition of the careful and responsible management of something entrusted into one's care. Okay? And we looked at the principle of who is the owner of all things. Obvious answer, God. Do we always act like it? <laughs> no, we don't. So, we kind of painfully went through a bunch of verses. Hopefully it wasn't too painful, but to clarify that everything in the earth, everything that grows there, every person in there, everything in the heavens, in the sea, in the heavens of heavens, it all belongs to Him. He is the divine owner, the right as a creator, including you individually. And not only does He own you as the creator, He's also purchased you with the blood of His Son. And so, He is your master in twofold. You owe Him a loyalty and a duty to care for His stuff. Anything that's in your life, including your physical body, your mind, your uh, physical possessions, your time, attention, love, your family, everything that's in your care and responsibility belongs to Him and you're managing it for Him. That was last week's sermon boiled down to 90 seconds. Right. I'll need to recap. Go. Let's do it again. I don't like preaching about money. There's a lot of folks on TV who talk a lot about money, and they talk about it in the wrong way. <clears throat> and if I'm charged with teaching the whole counsel of God, it talks about money a whole lot. So, I'm going to do that this morning. So what we're going to look at is going to be very blunt. And that is the stewardship of your personal finances. Because who does it belong to? God. And we've got to look at His Word and see what He says about it. Because otherwise we can get some pretty squirrely notions if we're not grounding ourselves in the truth. We start using our emotion or our heart or whatever. I think God or I feel God rather than thus saith God's Word we're liable to get pretty far off base. So I'm going to consider it from four different angles or perspectives, categories, however you want to line it out, and I'll give them to you in advance. Number one, how do I earn money? Stewardship and how I earn money. How do I manage the Lord's funds? How do I spend the Lord's funds? And finally, what is my attitude towards the Lord's funds? I could spend a sermon on each of these. I'm not going to. I'm going to try and cover this in one. And so it will be relatively high level and not all encompassing. But what I'm hoping is that it will whet your appetites and that you will go study on these. If you have specific questions, come talk to me. I'm fine with that. But these are four aspects of our finances, Lord's finances. We've got to be rooted and grounded in truth. So, first category. How I earn money. Remember, I'm a steward. Everything that I do, every talent that I've been given, the ability to work is a gift from God. I report to Him. And so the question that I need to be answering in every activity that I engage in is, 
Am I glorifying God in this process? Right? We said, as the divine odor, why did He create us? He created us for His glory and to praise Him. So, we should be glorifying Him even in our labors and earning funds. So I'm going to give you three kind of high-level categories in this. Um, this is, again, not all-encompassing, but this is to get you thinking. So I want you to go with me to Proverbs. We read Proverbs in our Bible reading not too long ago. <clears throat> um, and so there is, a, there is a whole bunch of content in the book of Proverbs that speaks to this. I mean, a non-believer could read the book of Proverbs and come away with a lot of really good information. If they implemented it, that would be wonderful for them. But you get to implement it because you know it's true and you know who's speaking it because you love the man who wrote it, which is God. You love the writer. So, let's start with Proverbs 21 and verse 6. How we earn money. Am I glorifying God? And I got a dichotomy here. Two different, you know, opposites. Honesty and integrity and unjust gain. It's either going to be one of the two. Am I earning funds with honesty and integrity or am I doing something that is unjust? I need to be fully in the camp of honesty and integrity. Proverbs 26, verse 6 says, The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity. Toss to and fro of them that seek death. Can you obtain physical riches through deceit and lies? Yeah. And it says that, that vanity, those, those riches are going to be tossed back and forth between the wicked. That's not where we need to be. Goes on and says, The robbery of the wicked shall destroy them because they refuse to do judgment. The way of the man, the way of man, your carnal nature, 21, 6 through 8. The way of man is froward, means perverse and strange. But as for the pure, his work is right. You can obtain riches in this world through deceit, through robbery, through lying. And if your goal in life is just to obtain riches, you'll find ways to do that. There'll be ways you can do it and you probably won't even get caught. But child of God, that's not for you. You're not glorifying God when you bend the rules, and we use that term loosely, to gain funds. Go back to chapter 11 of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 3 says, The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Perverseness. That's a distortion. You'll ever shade what you're saying to make it sound a little bit better or to convince somebody there's integrity is speaking Truth, upright, honestness, honestly. Integrity shall guide them. And that's true. It's If you are maintaining integrity in what you do, it's pretty straightforward on, on how to handle it. 
But if you get into all this gray areas, they're not really gray. Where can I distort it? Where is the line? When when is it just good business? Right? That's that's a lie. Right? You can't separate who you are as a follower of God from your business life. Your business life should be a reflection of the fact that you're a follower of God. So integrity as opposed to perverseness. In fact, if you go up to chapter uh, verse one in that same chapter, it says a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. But a just weight is his delight. Why does, why does God care if your scale's accurate? Because you're the one who's distorting it. It's not so much the scale, so much as what are you doing? You're cheating somebody. You're lying. You're being deceptive. That doesn't glorify God. That which is upright, that which is honest. And, and you can say, well, Brother John, this is obvious. Yeah! Do it! Because there's going to be times where you're tempted, maybe of your own accord, or maybe because someone you report to tells you to do the wrong thing. You don't get a pass, child of God, because the person you report to tells you to do the wrong thing. You report to someone way higher. Well, what if it costs me my job? Okay. That may be the consequence. You may not be to be there. But doing the right thing in spite of the hard consequences is still the right thing. Because your ultimate purpose is not to keep that job and not to please that boss. It's to please and glorify and praise God. That's your primary purpose. And we can't forget that. Alright, so am I glorifying God as I earn my money? Well, am I earning it honestly? with integrity, with uprightness. Right? And again, we could go on to this for an hour. We're not going to. A different portion of that is, am I working with patience and diligence as opposed to sloth? <coughs> Another word for laziness. You know, Looking for that hasty, quick, get-rich scheme. Right? You know, y'all have seen a bunch of those advertised, right? You just do this and you'll be rich. You know, Come to my seminar, sit there for an hour, and then you're going to be rich. Go to Proverbs chapter 10. We're right there. Proverbs 10 and 4. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. There is, there is just sound practical reality that if you are lazy and not willing to work, it's gonna, you're going to tend to become poor. And those who are willing to work and be diligent, you, know, you, you have more. That's, that's just a reality. Go to 12... And 27. The slothful man roasteth not which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. Someone who's slothful is more likely to waste what they have. The Lord's given something. So here the example is, you know, you've gone hunting. You've you got that deer. You take the tenderloins out, you grill them, and you leave the rest. Right. Whereas the diligent, the one who's willing to do the hard work, and preserve that which the Lord has given. That's, it takes effort. It's easy to take the easy way out. That's why they call it that. So am I glorifying God by being diligent and attentive in my role? Or am I shirking and just trying to look for the easy way out? Because that will show up in how I care for His stuff. What I allow to go 
to waste. Uh, go down to chapter 13, verse 11. <clears throat> Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. So this is, this is throwing out your get-rich-quick schemes. That's gathering it by vanity. It's a worthless, idle way. But that which is gathereth by labor, that's, that's a process. That's slow. That's the, the little by little. Giving attention. Pain. Now, am I saying if you do that, you're going to be rich in this world? Not necessarily. But you are called to be diligent and industrious in, in your work. Not to take it to the extreme of that's all you do. You know, we, we sometimes in our society we kind of praise the workaholic. Well, look at them; they're just they're just going at the seams. That's the other ditch. You've made that work, and whatever you're coming home, you've made that your idol. Your God, your God is who you're to glorify and praise, not what you're doing, and certainly not yourself. The earning the funds is just a tool; it's a means to an end to glorify and praise Him in the other aspects of your life, to provide for your family and your needs. Alright? So wealth gotten by vanity is diminished. Goes away. But he that gathereth by labor it shall increase. And finally let's go to chapter 21. Twenty-one and five. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. Having enough. But everyone that is hasty only to want. Diligent versus hasty. Looking for the shortcuts. Looking for the easy way out versus that patient diligence. Okay, And then again down in chapter, same, same chapter, down in verse 25. The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. So if we're lazy, the things that we want, they're just going to drive us nuts. We want them so bad, they're unattainable. But you're unwilling to work. So how am I earning funds and am I glorifying God in the process? Am I dealing honestly with integrity in everything that I do? Am I operating with patience and diligence and steadiness? Or am I looking for the easy way out? Am I trying to cheat somebody to get ahead? Am I trying to cheat my boss to get ahead? Am I lazy? Or am I hasty? And again, there's a ton of other categories you can think about in the context of how am I earning funds. Go, go, go research it. I'll just give you one other aspect, and I want you to go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and in verse 17, says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, so everything that comes out of your mouth and everything that you're doing, your activities, your labors, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. When we work and earn funds, we have to remember who we're working for. It's not that immediate boss if we work for a boss. It's not ourselves if we own our own company and we're an entrepreneur. Everything we do needs to be done in such a manner that it brings glory to the name of Jesus Christ. And again, it gets even more explicit down there 
in 23 of the same chapter, Colossians 3 and 23, and whatsoever you do, that's a pretty broad language, right? Anything escape that? Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not under men. That gets into that diligent labor that we're putting in. Put your put some gusto into it because you're serving God. Okay? It's easy to get off track in our jobs and lose sight of who we're working for and why we're working. This is just kind of bringing our perspective back to everything that we do needs to be done under the Lord. And guess what? If you can't do what you're doing in a way that glorifies God, you may not need to be doing it. Well, what if I make really good money? That's not in the equation. If you can't be honest and upright, if you can't glorify Him in what you're doing, that needs to be more important. This is a recalibration of our priorities. Whatsoever you do, do in the name of Jesus and do it heartily as unto the Lord. Okay, so that's that's kind of your, your high-level survey of how are we earning funds. Alright? Next thing I want to look at is how do I manage the Lord's funds? Say, well, what do you mean by that? Isn't that kind of all this stewardship? Well, I want to use uh, the language in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. This is a parable in which Jesus talks about a steward who was not faithful. Um, and the Lord um, is a rich man who found out about it. Um, and the guy had been accused of wasting the rich man's stuff. All right, so there's been an accusation. And the rich man calls him and said unto them, How is it I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship. For thou mayest be no longer a steward. So he wanted to see the books. He wanted to see the records. And this is the verse, the expression I want is given an account. If the Lord came to you today and said, Give me an account of how you've used everything that I've given you, would you be able to tell him? Because, I don't know, ain't a real good answer to give to the Lord who owns the stuff. Not, that doesn't show the careful and responsible management of his things. And so if we're going to manage the Lord's funds, we need to know where they're at, what they're doing. We need to keep records. We need to understand what's coming in and what's going out. You know, this is just kind of common sense stuff, but taking reasonable security for protecting your Lord's funds. You know, you don't leave $100 bills on the, the dash of your car, right? You say, well, that's, that's foolish. All right, well, use the same thing as far as protecting your accounts. No, they're just taking reasonable precautions to not make things easy for somebody to take your Lord's funds. I mean, that's... Y'all are, y'all are wise folks. You can think through that. But the aspect of that is, is just giving attention to the Lord's details, to the details of the Lord's funds, of what, what's going on with them. You know, and in the context of that, you need to have some planning involved, right? How am I going to use my Lord's funds this month? What am I using them towards in the long term? I remember Jesus would say over in Luke 14 talking about, you know, which one of you sets out to build a tower doesn't sit down first and count the cost? Well, that's a long-term plan. You've got something that you're working towards and it should be something that glorifies God. And you're saying, now, what do I need to accomplish this? This this takes some diligence. This takes some effort. This is not just going to happen. 
Same thing with, with short-term planning of what, what am I going to do here with these funds this month? Right? Just kind of the normal thing. And you can see that illustrated in Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27. I want the, uh, the end of the chapter. 23 through 27. The admonition here says, Be thou diligent... Talked about that a minute ago. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herd. So in this context, you're a shepherd, cattleman, whatever. You've got assets that are there under your control. It says to be diligent to know them. Know where they are. Know what they're doing. But it doesn't stop there. It says, For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation. The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself, and the herbs of the mountain are gathered. The lambs are for thy clothing. The goats are for the price of the field. And thou shalt have goat's milk enough for thy food, for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance of thy maidens. You've got the different aspects of those assets that the Lord had given you and what each one was going to be used for. And you've got that plan. You know that I've got to care for these lambs because I'm going to sell those and I'm going to, that's going to be the clothing. That's going to be the raiment that we've got. The goats are for the price of the field. I've got to either buy the field or I'm renting it to feed them. You know, that's what I'm using this for. The goat's milk, there's your food, and the maintenance of thy maintenance. You've got those that are under your charge and care that you need to use the Lord's assets in a responsible way, but you've got to know what that plan is. Okay? And I'll add a caveat here, a little asterisk. If you're married, you got to tell each other about it. <laughs> because if a plan, you've got a great plan... You're not going to have great execution if both parties don't know about it. <laughs> and you got to have buy-in on that, otherwise you will have friction. So there's an element of communication. And using the Lord's funds, well, if you're married, you're, you've got you know, joint stewardship here. You need to make sure the other steward, who's got that name on the checking account too, understands how y'all are working together to glorify the Lord in your life. All right? That avoids a lot of conflict. All right? Again, this is high-level stuff. I know that. So maybe the harder one, right? How am I being a steward of the Lord's funds when I spend it? Right now we've just earned it and we've, we're kind of accounting for it. We're keeping track of it. Here's where the rubber really meets the road, right? The spending portion. Am I glorifying God as I spend His funds? That's kind of the operative question. All right? Where should we start what should be our top priority as we're thinking about where do we spend as funds? Well, go to Proverbs chapter 3 and in verse 9. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. Where do you start? I start here. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. It's the Lord's stuff. The first thing you need to spend it on is giving it back to Him. Now, just for clarification, you are not Jews under the Old Testament law. You are not mandated to tithe. You're not mandated to give first fruits. You're not mandated to do any of those things under the Old Testament that were designed to support 
the Levitical <coughs> priesthood and the temple and all that structure. You are not mandated to do any of those things. So, you are commanded to honor the Lord with your substance, and that be your wealth, and with the first fruits of your increase, that which He gives you. You have to honor Him. You know what the word honor literally means? Weighty. Do you consider the Lord weighty or important in your life if you give Him the equivalent of a tic-tac? Is that really something important? Or are you just giving lip service? And so if you want you want real brass tax, you know, some folks talk about 10%. Is the 10% the ideal? That's, that's what a tithe means. It means a tenth. Is it the ideal? Go to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And in verse 6. It had been talking about the Old Testament priesthood. And then it talks about Jesus and His ministry. So 8 and 6 it says, But now hath He, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, obtained a more excellent ministry. But how much, how much also He is a mediator of a better covenant, which is established upon better promises. So, child of God... Here in the New Testament, you serve a God who came and brought you a better covenant, better promises, and you have a better mediator. And so if it was mandatory in the Old Testament to give that 10%, maybe we ought to be considering, can we do better because we've received better? Now, am I going to tell you what you need to, to give to the church? No. Lord's Word should convict you on that. Am I saying that everything that you give to the Lord has to come to this church? No. There are folks over preaching in Africa right now. Support them. But I am saying that you have to be intentional about giving the Lord's funds into His service. What's the primary mission, you know, role of the church? In order to continue to spread the gospel. Support that. It's worth it. Is this uncomfortable to listen to? Probably. It's uncomfortable to preach. It's still true. Okay? How do I spend it? Start there. That's why it talks about first fruits. The concept of that is the first portion is what you're giving to God. Not, I've done all the things that I need to do and all the things that I want to do, and then anything that's left, okay, God, here's your peace. That's having it backwards. Now, if you're not tracking it and budgeting it and knowing where things are, you won't get that. That other peace has to come first and being deliberate in doing that. Okay? So that's one aspect, and that's, that's probably the most important aspect to consider. But beyond that, beyond just giving immediately in the Lord's service, there's also an aspect of being generous with His funds, His goods. Go to Proverbs uh, 22. Generosity. Proverbs 22, and in verse 9, 
He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth his bread to the poor. A bountiful eye means, means a good eye. Bread to the poor. Go back to chapter 21 and verse thing. It says, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he shall also cry himself and shall not be heard. Now, in the New Testament, we're told that would let us be content with our food and raiment. So if you need to know, well, how, what's the best way for me to minister to the poor? When's the line? Where's the draw? I think that's a pretty good indication. Provide food and raiment. If we're to be content with that, you see a need of someone who's hungry? Feed them. You see someone who's naked and cold? Get them clothing. Clothing. That's not the one you turn your head from. Okay. However, again in 21, down in verse 25, uh, we looked at this a minute ago. The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. He coveteth greedily all the day long. Same, same concept here. Same, talking about the same slothful man. He's coveting greedily all the day long. But the righteous, what should the righteous do? Giveth and spareth not. Okay? We need to train ourselves to look for opportunities to give away the Lord's money. He describes that as that being characteristics of the righteous. And we want to be like our Lord is. He's righteous. And we want to glorify Him. Okay? What else? How else can we glorify God in our spending? Psalm 37. Psalm 37 and verse 21. Psalm 37 verse 21 says, The wicked borroweth, wicked borrows, and payeth not again. But the righteous, righteous showeth mercy and giveth. Got that repetition there on giving. We should pay our lawful debts. That's important. Let us not follow into that category of borrowing and not paying again. Okay? Over in 1 Timothy chapter 5, um, it makes painfully clear that we are to provide for the needs of those in our family, including those who are in our extended family who, who are without, um, without means. Um, concept there in First Timothy chapter five is talking about those who have widows or um, in their in their families. If their if their mother is a widow, or if they have an aunt who's a widow, that the church shouldn't be responsible for providing their daily bread. That should be the family. But the verse that I'm interested in is verse eight says, "But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel." Sometimes we use that word infidel and don't really know what it means. It just means a non-believer. It means somebody who does not follow Christ that we have to provide for our own. That's, that is part of our responsibility. Now, you have to have some discernment on what your own need versus what they just want, including yourself. All right? And I can't answer that question for you in an easy, bright-line way for every situation. But a, a kind of good rule of thumb question of can I live without this? The answer is yes. Pretty good odds it's a want. Right? And that needs to factor into our priorities of spending. Okay? The needs need to come first. Alright? One other aspect, Proverbs 21. 
Proverbs 21 and verse 20. Proverbs. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says, There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. So we're talking about two sides of a ditch. One ditch is you spend everything that comes in. It's the concept of living paycheck to paycheck. There's no backup. There's no savings whatsoever. That As it comes out, it flows out. That's described as living foolishly. Do you know that I think it's over half, there's a study, of over half the people making six figures live paycheck to paycheck. Salary of over $100,000, and they're living paycheck to paycheck. This is our discipline and our training and our discernment on how we handle what the Lord has given us here. If we're not faithful with a little bit, we're not going to be faithful with a lot of it. Okay? So the wise here is described as there's, there's something left up. There's some savings element within his household. Okay? So one side of the ditch is you're driving along. You don't want to follow your tractor into the dike, right? off the dike, right? You don't want it to go into... You have no savings. Well, what's the other side? Heaping up treasure. All right, and this kind of leads into our fourth category that I want to consider this. What is our attitude towards the Lord's funds? Are we trying to save so much that we're heaping up mountains of treasure? Right? Y'all watched the, the Hobbit the other day. And what was that dragon doing? He was sleeping under all his gold. He had these mounds of gold, right? That's the other ditch. Go to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And really, this is a warning. A warning of being, being, beware of having a covetous attitude towards the Lord's funds. And when you start just the goal to amass more and more and more, you're loving it. You're desiring it. That's that love of money is the root of all meaning. Money is not evil in and of itself. It's just a tool. It's no more evil than your car is or your socket wrench. Because when you start to love it, it's when your heart is out of alignment. Okay? Let's jump back to Proverbs 23, because it's putting your love and faith in riches, that's, that's a foolish notion. That's building your house on that sand that just goes away. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, it says, Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Your own wisdom says, well, I need to work hard so I can be rich. But cease from that wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, and they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. That's a pretty good definition for fleeting riches, right? It's like they just get wings and fly away. Don't put your trust in that. Don't labor for that. In the next book after that, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 
And verse 10 says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. You won't get to the point where it says, Okay, now I've got enough. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. So if you love just stuff, well, you've got more stuff, you won't be satisfied. This also is vanity or worthless. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. Rich have a lot of friends. Those who want to take. and you know, So when goods are increased, they are increased that eat them. And what good thereof is the owners thereof? Okay, you've got all these masses, like that dragon sitting on the treasure. What good is it other than save the beholding of them with their eyes? Just looking at it. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Why? Because they're worried about it. Well, what's the stock market going to do? What if this don't come in? What am I? How to make that right decision? This is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches for the owners there, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. The amassing up of riches to keep it for yourself, just to look at it, it says it hurts you. And so the caution to you in your attitude of your Lord's funds is beware, beware of covetousness, which is idolatry. Also, beware of being a lover of pleasure. Proverbs 21 and 17. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. It's your expensive habits. If you are making provision for the flesh, you are going to be blowing your money. Go again to 23 and 20. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh, for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. If we're overindulging in wine and in food and luxury, and we've got to beat out the best restaurants, and we've got to have all this, you're just... It's going to come to poverty and drowsiness, that kind of stupor that you fall into, it'll close you with rags. And you can see that in the, the parable that Jesus gives about the prodigal son, right? How did he spend, you know, his father had spent a lifetime amassing great wealth, and he gave the portion to the son, and what did he go and spend it on? Riotous living. That's kind of old school language. He went and partied. And partied and partied until he blown it all. There was nothing left. And he had to go work, you know, feeding pigs. And no one would give him anything, and so he's eating, you know, the leftovers of pig slop. Okay? Second Timothy three and four, you don't have to turn there. This is a description of wicked men. One of the descriptors of it is that they are lovers of pleasure. Okay? So beware of that. Alright? Beware of being covetous. Beware of being a lover of pleasure. And finally, over in Luke chapter 12. Beware of seeking independence from God through your riches. That's, a, that's another way of saying trusting in wealth. 
trusting in riches. This is Luke chapter 12. Jesus gives his parable about the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. He had a great crop. He was already rich, but he had that year that he'd been waiting for. He thought, I've got so much stuff, what am I going to do? I don't have room in my barns to contain it. All right, I got a good idea. I'll tear them down. I'll make bigger ones to hold them. And then I'll stop. Right? I'll bestow my goods and I'll say to myself, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. Okay? What American concept does that sound like? Retirement! Now, am I saying that you have to work a secular job until the day you die? I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying you cannot make your goal in life to be independent from God. You need Him. You need your dependency on Him. You are dependent upon Him, whether you realize it or not. But if you put so much stock in saving up for a time and thinking, I don't have to work anymore, I can just take it easy. Y'all, there's work for you to do. There's kingdom work all the time. Okay, you've, you've stopped your secular job. Guess what? Lord may give you a whole lot more work because you've got more availability than someone who's got to go to the 8 to 5. So it's not getting there so you can stop. And this is all about attitudes. Am I saying that it's wrong for you to retire from a secular job? I'm not saying that. But if your goal is to get to that point and then just ride off into the sunset, get the RV, and never come to church again, and you're, you may look at me like I'm crazy, but... This happens. People take this American dream and say, this is the ideal without couching it in terms of, is this scriptural? Or am I being like this rich man? If I've got stuff for many years, I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to relax. What does the Lord say to that person? He says, God said unto them, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, and who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So beware of trusting in riches. So we got some cautions there. Well, what's, what should we do? What's the positive? What should we do in the firm? What's a better attitude? Matthew 6, 33. How about seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and God's righteousness? You say, well, we're supposed to be doing that all along, glorifying and praising God. Yes, you are. And the context of that chapter is about not worrying about your daily needs as much as putting God first. What else? What else should we have an an attitude? What's a good attitude towards the Lord's money? I think you get a great example from the Apostle Paul over in Philippians. Learning contentment. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not something I'm born again. Now I'm content. (laughs) You wish. But... We need to learn contentment. Verse uh, 11 of chapter 4 of Philippians. Not that I speak in respect of want. Now, he, he had been. this is basically the end of a letter where it was a thank you note because they had sent him some support so he could continue most likely to pay for his hired house while he was under house arrest in Rome. Right. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased that means when I'm made poor. When things are hard, I can be content there. And I know how to bow. And the Lord raising me up, I can be content there too. And, and everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full 
and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So this is not the slogan to get you through the football game. This is to teach you contentment. That God's going to be with you and bless you to get through wherever you're at. So what should my attitude be? Is where I'm at, Lord, let me find contentment here. If you change my circumstances up or down, okay, let me learn contentment there too. And finally, my attitude towards Lord's funds needs to be a faithfulness. Faithfulness in that which is the very least. And this is in Luke chapter 16. We talked about uh, that parable of the, the unfaithful steward um, giving an account. And, and you know his solution was a very worldly solution. He says, I'm about to get fired. I don't want to go dig trenches. That'd be embarrassing. I've got to find another indoor job. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to have my, my boss's creditors come. I'm going to lie about how much they owe them. And somebody's going to take me into their household to work for them. But verse 10, after all that, says, He that is faithful in that which is least, the smallest thing, he, he that is faithful in the least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, that means money. If you haven't been righteous there, who will commit unto your trust true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That word mammon, that's, that's basically an idol of money. You can serve God, or you can serve money. You can't do both. And so, but the real point that I want from that is that being faithful. But these are the Lord's funds and I need to be faithful to them in the littlest portion. Okay? So you may be thinking here, okay, Brother John, I've sat, I've sat through your money talk. That's all well and good in theory. But how do I take this and run with it? What do I do? Where, where do I start? Here's a suggestion. Start by taking an inventory. What assets has the Lord given you? What's coming in? Get a clear picture. Get clear records so that for yourself, so if the Lord came down to have a conversation with you and said, give me an account, you've got an answer and you can show them some diagrams. And then from that, make a plan. Both short term and long term. In that plan, you're going to be setting forth the priorities. And I want you to use God's Word to establish your priorities. And your long-term goal, whatever that is, it needs to be a God-honoring goal. I can't, I can't give that one for you. I'll give you a good example. You're not a debt. Right? And then you need to work that plan diligently doesn't do a lick of good if you write it all up and then you ignore it. Work it. Follow up with it. See where you're at. Track it. If you've got a spouse, talk about it with them. Encourage each other. After a month, adjust it. See where you can tweak it. 
reevaluate. What have I learned in Scripture since then? Where do I need to adjust? This is, this is not a one-time thing. This is a constant process of learning how can I be a better steward of the Lord's funds? Can I stretch some areas over here? You know, this is really a want. Do I need it? Well, this is really making provision for the lust of the flesh. I should probably cut that off altogether. And most importantly, is that you have to study. You have to be diligent in your work. I can give you this high-level intro, but I can't give you the, you know, I looked at, there's someone who says over 2,000 verses on money in Scripture. That's a whole lot of information. Some of it's your example, some of it's directly on point, but you need to be looking into God's Word and internalizing what He says and then applying it. And I can't do that for you. I can encourage you. I can give you starting points. I can answer questions. But if you want to be a good steward of God's funds, you need to be a good steward of His Word, of which you have access in your home, in your own language. You don't have to walk to town to go into the synagogue and ask to borrow a particular book for a minute, and hopefully it's there, or that they'll let you. I mean... You have free access. They're extremely cheap. So study. Study to be diligent. To learn and see if what you're prioritizing matches up with God's Word. So I pray the Lord will bless these few thoughts.